I'm really excited to talk to you today about the temptations of Jesus, not just the temptations, obviously, but the fact that we are studying the life of Jesus. It's a very exciting thing to me. Uh, I've been looking forward to getting into this study of Matthew for quite some time, and now that we are here, it's a, a glorious thing. We are going to learn more and more about our Lord. And I cannot tell you enough, I cannot overemphasize how important it is for every one of us to get to know Jesus more and more. Matthew chapter 4, the first 11 verses, is the passage we're going to be looking at today. And of course, this event is recorded for us also in Mark chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 4. John does not specifically mention the temptations of Jesus, but they're sort of there. And uh, that's a whole other sermon in itself. But anyway, we're going to talk about this passage, and I hope that you'll be able to follow. I hope that you will uh, learn a lot, and it'll be uh, edifying to you. Uh, Brother Gary Fancher last week, asked, uh, he made the suggestion that I put together a little study guide with some questions, and so I did that, and I think there were about 50 copies back there. Uh, hopefully you got one. If you didn't, maybe you can look on with somebody that did get one, or you can print them off later as you leave and take it home and answer some of the questions. But anyway, that might help uh, keep your focus and help you learn about uh, what it is we're, we're talking about today. First of all, the text says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And I want to remind you, this is right after he is baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. And so I'll have some things to say about that uh, momentarily. But I want you to think about that. He is led by the Spirit. And the interesting thing is the way that Mark puts it is that the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Now, uh, the word for drove here is a word that's used very often in the New Testament, and almost every time it's used, not always, but many of the times it's used, it's used in the context of casting out demons. And so this is kind of fascinating, and it's all hopefully going to fall into place and make a little sense when we think about what's going on here. You know, we typically make assumptions, and sometimes those assumptions are maybe fairly accurate and sometimes maybe not so much. I don't know what your assumptions have been about Jesus being in the wilderness for 40 days and fasting for 40 days and all of that, but for many years I thought purely in terms of the fact that here's Jesus in a severely weakened state. I can't imagine. In fact, uh, some of the research that I've done about fasting uh, show, and you can tell I've done more research than I have practice. But anyway, uh, about 40 days is as long as a human being can go. And so anybody who fasts 40 days, if you even make it 40 days, you're near death physically. And so... We think about him being in a severely weakened state. And now in this weakened state, it's, I sort of always assume the devil comes after him. And isn't that what the devil does? He finds us in our weakest moments, in our weakest places. But yet in, in rereading this, and I want you to rethink this a little bit, because in Luke's account, when he starts 
the temptations. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And of course, Matthew says he was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And so he's full of the Spirit when he goes into the wilderness. At the end of the temptations, in verse 14 in Luke chapter 4, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out uh, throughout all the surrounding country. So this is something I didn't really notice before. He's full of the Spirit going into the wilderness. He's in the power of the Spirit after he's been in the wilderness. And so this reminds me of the time when Jesus told his disciples, I have food that you don't know about. And of course, he was talking about spiritual food, spiritual strength. And as we get into the temptation, this will even make more sense when Jesus makes the statement, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we'll talk about that shortly as well. So here we find Jesus confronted by Satan. That's the way I always looked at it, but maybe it's this. Maybe it's Satan is confronted by Jesus. You ever think about that? And I think maybe that's a more accurate thing because of the text that says the Spirit led him to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And so here we have heaven's champion, the Son of God. We have the greatest that there ever was and ever will be, Jesus, the God-man, the Lord of all. And he has come to this earth and now he is in a one-on-one death match, winner-take-all. I don't know how they advertise all those crazy things. But anyway, whatever you can make of it, this is a big deal. Millions on pay-per-view. But anyway, this is a massive, massive event that takes place because it's going to set the course for everything for the whole future of humanity this is the plan of God taking action and so let's look at what happens here we know as we read through the temptations that Jesus wins right Jesus was successful he defeated Satan He bound the strong man, as we're about to see. In Mark chapter 1, verse 23 through 28, immediately, now remember, this is right after the temptations uh, as recorded in Mark, okay? So after Jesus comes out of there, we get to a place where Mark tells us he's driving out demons. And if you read that, you'll see the demons know who he is. Well, how do they know who he is? Well, they know who he is because he had just defeated Satan. He had just defeated their leader. He had just overcome everything that Satan had to throw at him. So what we have here is Jesus coming out of the wilderness and immediately confronting the demons and driving them out. He is showing his power over evil. And so part of this whole temptation thing is that God is revealing to us a power that is greater than anything that Satan 
Even Satan himself can throw at man. Man can overcome. Man can overcome temptation. You don't have to give in to temptation. You don't have to be a slave to evil. Because of Jesus in Christ and through Christ, we can win this struggle. That's what these temptations are about. Mark 3. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub and by the prince of demons. He casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But it's coming to an end. I love that phrase, is coming to an end. I want you to know today that Satan is coming to an end. You might ask, why didn't he put an end to Satan in the first place? Why in the world didn't God just obliterate him and remove him from existence instead of allowing himself to go through this temptation experience? Why would God do Why wouldn't he just wipe Satan out of existence? Well, that's a good question. And the reason, the answer to the question, is because God loves you so much. And you might think, well, wait, it seems to me that if he loved me so much, he would have got rid of Satan. No, 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 no. The fact that God did things the way he did, that he allowed this to take place, that he allows Satan to afflict us and attack us and tempt us even today has everything to do with free will and love. God doesn't force anybody to follow him. God allows every one of us to choose God. He loves all of us. He provides a way for all of us, but he doesn't overpower us. He doesn't run roughshod over us. He doesn't take away our free will. And so we need to understand how important this is that we are living in a situation where evil does exist around us and that, strangely enough, it is a beautiful thing. Now, I hope you understand what I'm saying. God could have made robots of us all. He could have forced all of us to be a certain way, to live a certain way. But love is about choosing to love. God loves us. Now do we love him? God wants us to choose to love him, and we have a choice how we want to live our lives. We have a choice. Do we want God in our lives? We can choose good. We can choose evil. We can choose God. We can choose Satan. But he is bound. He is tied up, in other words. He is limited. He has limited Satan, and he is coming to an end. At some point when he decides 
God will remove Satan from existence. He will totally and eternally get rid of him at the proper time. But for now, this is the way it is. I don't know what you ever thought about the wilderness. I've been blessed to be able to go there in person and see it myself. And I'll tell you what, it was unbelievable. Because I did not ever think about the wilderness looking like that. These are real pictures of the area where Jesus spent those 40 days. One of the things that first struck me is the lack of vegetation. You see that? There's hardly any living thing there that you can see. A little bit here and there. And look at all the rocks. Rocks everywhere. It is a barren, rocky, dry, rough, rugged place. An uninhabited place, a dangerous place, a place where people didn't want to go, a place that was often associated with that's where the demons live. And so that's where Jesus goes. Jesus' temptations in the wilderness reminds us of the children of Israel being in the wilderness, right? And the 40 days that he was there kind of reminds us of the 40 years that Israel spent wandering in the wilderness. In fact, whenever the temptations began, turning the breads to stone, Jesus refers to the children of Israel in the wilderness. And in fact, all three of Jesus' scriptural responses to the temptations, all three of them are taken from the same period of time in Scripture, which is the children of Israel in the wilderness. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 8, and even more than that, but that's where Jesus draws from, Deuteronomy chapter 6 through chapter 8, and those are his responses to Satan, and all of those scriptures come from this period of time where Israel is in the wilderness. And so what we can learn from this is that this is another exodus. This is a new exodus. This is a different kind of exodus. It is a spiritual exodus. Jesus is the new Moses. He is the deliverer. He is the savior. He's the one that leads his people out of bondage. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it referred to their crossing through the Red Sea, and it used very interesting language. It says they were all baptized unto Moses in the Red Sea. And so all of this Jesus being in the wilderness is Jesus being a representative of the true Son of God. Israel was supposed to be the Son of God who brought light to the nations, who revealed the true God. But Israel failed, and so God did it himself. God showed the way. And so this is a whole different kind of exodus that's taking place. And we find it all connected there in Acts chapter 7. It's a, a, a little small section in the New Testament that talks about that and connects Jesus with Moses. And so we know all of these things are true because the New Testament teaches that. So what about the children of Israel in the wilderness those 40 years? Here's some excerpts from the New Testament 
about the Israelites. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness. In other words, there is a recognition that God was with them. Remember through the tabernacle. Remember the pillar of fire, the pillar of a cloud, and all that. And remember the tent of meeting. We've talked about all of those things. God was with them in the wilderness. The Spirit was with Jesus in the wilderness. Acts 13, verse 18, for about 40 years he put up with them. That's a strange way to put it, isn't it? He put up with them? That implies some things about them. What? Well, with most of them, God was not pleased. Don't harden your hearts as they did. They were rebellious. He refers to those who heard and yet rebelled. They provoked God for 40 years, and they sinned and died in the wilderness. So the wilderness is often referred to in Scripture as a place where men wander away from God, where they become lost spiritually. Jeremiah 17, verse 5 and 6 says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. That's the way the Bible describes those who move away from God. Let's look at the three temptations. These temptations challenge Jesus' identity and his ministry or his mission. Remember, Jesus goes into the wilderness right after he's baptized by John. What happened when he was baptized by John? He comes up out of the waters of baptism. The Holy Spirit lights upon him in the form of a dove and this voice out of heaven says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And from there he goes to the wilderness. So Jesus moves from hearing from his father, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And shortly thereafter in the wilderness, Satan confronts him and says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. If you're the son of God, jump down off the top of this temple. If you're the son of God, Satan is mocking him. Satan is challenging him. Satan is saying, prove it. If you are who you say you are, if you are who the voice said you are, show me. Do something. Come on, do something. When do we hear stuff like this? When Jesus is hanging on the cross, we hear the same voices, don't we? If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. If you're who you say you are, do something amazing, something miraculous. Do something to convince all of us. Well, he could have. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But I want to establish for you, and, and I want you to really look at this closely, Jesus' identity was the Son of God who Israel was supposed to be, the Davidic Messianic King, Luke talked about that, the mission of Israel to be a light to the world, revealing the one true God to the nations. 
And he was the servant of God that you read about in Isaiah chapter 40 through 55 who would accomplish God's plan for all creation. You want to know who Jesus is? There it is right there. There's his identity, there's his work, there's his mission. So the first temptation, let's look at these. Turn stones to bread. What's wrong with that? The guy's hungry. Come on. Didn't Jesus himself later, wasn't he later himself going to miraculously provide bread for hungry people? I mean, all Satan's asking him to do for himself is the, the very thing that he was going to do for other people, right? What's the big deal? Jesus responded, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Psalm 78, they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power, yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas, and they ate and were well filled, for he gave them what they craved. You know, we all know the story about God sending manna from heaven, right? But did you ever know that it is the grain of heaven and the bread of angels? That's how the Bible describes manna. Wow. Man, I'm a big fan of hot homemade rolls with butter on it. But I don't even know if that's as good as manna. The bread of angels. And this is what God graciously provided them. Why? Why did Jesus resist? Well, number one, one thing that I find interesting as I look throughout the life of Jesus, you know, I don't ever see a time where Jesus performed a miracle for himself. Any time he performed a miracle, he was doing it for the good or the benefit of somebody else. Isn't that interesting? But I think the point is, is that, remember, the Spirit drove him to the wilderness to be tempted. This was ordained by God. This was the plan of God. This was the way that God had set before him. This was the path that he was to travel. And so he would wait and let God decide when he should eat. And God would provide, and he knew God would provide. God had provided all his people. God would provide for him. The children of Israel were hungry in the wilderness. Jesus is in the wilderness, and he's hungry. What did God do? He provided for them. What's he doing for Jesus? He's going to provide for him. In fact, we read shortly that the angels came and ministered to him. Maybe they brought him some manna.
But Psalm 78 gives us an indication when it says they did not believe in God and they did not trust his saving power. You see, Jesus did believe in God. In that moment, in that time of weakness, physical weakness, in that time of testing, of trial, of temptation, Jesus believed in God and trusted God's saving power. So now he goes to the temple. Jump off the temple. What a spectacular way to start your ministry. In fact, the rabbis had, had taught for a number of years that whenever the Messiah comes, he's going to come to the highest place of the temple. And so this is not just some random crazy temptation that the devil throws out there. This is tied to what the Jews believed would happen when the Messiah comes. And so here he takes him up there on the pinnacle of the temple, this high place, probably overlooking the, the valley just outside the temple walls, the Valley of Kidron, and tells him to jump off. Imagine how that would affect the crowds. Everybody would be so impressed. Whoa, wow, look at that. You know what happens when somebody gets on a tall building? Uh, people, somebody sees it, and they, they stand there looking up, and the next person, uh, they see them looking up, and so they look up, and pretty soon a crowd gathers, and everybody's looking up. Wow, is he going to jump? What's the matter? What's wrong with that guy? Is he crazy? Oh, no, look. Everybody look. He's, he's going to jump. And if he jumped and he just lit on his feet, like Superman, wow! Everybody would think he's so great and awesome and cool. I'm going to follow that guy, right? How impressive. That's not the path God laid out for him. That's not the way of love. That's not the way to turn people's hearts to repent, to love the Lord. And so, look at Jesus' reply. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Or as some translations say, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, look at this. You think God was harsh to the Israelites, making them go 40 years in the wilderness? You think that was tough? Well, listen to the Israelites. Look, look at what the Bible says. about They tempted God all the time. Is the Lord among us or not? So they're out there in the wilderness. They're thirsty. There's not any water to drink. Is the, where's the Lord anyway? He's a, he, why did he bring us out of here? We had... Food and water and everything in Egypt. Now, it wasn't very long ago they were crying and begging and, and asking God for deliverance and, oh, this is so hard. These taskmasters are making us work seven days a week and 12 hours a day. And, the, you know, all this complaining and moaning and crying, and now they forgot about all of it. Take us back to Egypt. Have you ever done that? 
Where are you, Lord? Why don't you show up? Lord, how come you don't do something about this situation? Lord, why did you let this happen? Lord, why did you put the, why did you let this happen to me? How could you? Do you really love me? What's wrong with you, Lord? I don't understand what you're doing here. Folks, that kind of thinking is nothing but echoes of the past. Who are we to question and challenge God Almighty and put him to the test? And Jesus showed us once and for all, you don't test God. You don't put God to the test. You surrender to his will, his authority, his power, his way, his love. That's what we do. They have put me to test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice. Talks about those who despised him. They sinned still more against him rebelling. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God. Can God spread a table in the wilderness? This is one thing they said. They rebelled against him. They grieved him. They did not remember his power. And God referred to those who go astray in their heart and have not known my ways. That's the disobedient son, the nation of Israel. The last temptation, he takes Jesus up onto a high mountain. Most scholars believe that that is the mountain. It's Mount Quarantania. Now, the Bible speaks of showing him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. There is no mountain in the world where you can literally see the whole world from. You know that and I know that, right? So this could have been some sort of a vision in Jesus' mind to see the potential and the possibilities of all that he could have. Why had he come? Remember those statements at the end of Matthew and the end of Mark? Go and preach the gospel to every creature. Make disciples of all nations. Isn't that what Jesus is supposed to do? What about Daniel's prophecy? This kingdom that would come, this messianic kingdom, this Davidic messianic kingdom would destroy all the kingdoms of the world you think Jesus didn't know that was the word of God that was the will of God that's what's going to happen and so here in a moment in a flash one simple act bow down and worship me it's interesting the verb here is in the aorist tense that just simply means just this one time the devil was not necessarily telling Jesus, oh, you got to follow me all the rest of your life. No, he was just saying, come on, just look. Look what I can give you. 
Everything that you've come for, everything that you want, everything that you're going to live for and die for, and all, you know what's ahead. You know the path you have to travel. Listen, you don't have to go the way of the cross. I'll give you a crown right now. I'll give it all to you right now. You just bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. In Psalm 2, verses 6 through 8, God is saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decrees. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You see that statement, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That is quoted in Acts chapter 2, referring to Jesus. That is a statement in the Old Testament that is pointing to Jesus. And what does it say? I will make the nations your heritage. Hadn't God promised this to the son? There it is. He promised him the nations. But the way God mapped out the road for the nations to be his heritage has come true. There are Christians all over the world in every nation. God is true. His promises are true. He does what he says he's going to do. He did what he said he's going to do. And Jesus didn't have to bow down to Satan to get it. I want you to know today, you do not have to bow down to Satan you don't. Not a single time, not a single moment. You don't have to bow down to him. He is a deceiver. He's the father of lies. He will lie to you in more ways than you can even imagine. He'll pull a bait and switch on you. Then he will accuse you he will mock you, he will tear you down, and he will destroy you. That's who he is. That's what he does. He is your adversary. He is your enemy. He hates you. He wants nothing more than to tear you down. He's going down, he knows it, but he wants to take you with him. Why would we bow down to somebody like that? Why would we give in to somebody like that? Look at Jesus. Speak the words of Jesus. Get away from me, Satan. Get out of here. Have you ever done that? Have you ever felt the tension and distress and the power of Satan coming up against you and pushing against you and him with his foot in the, in the door and trying to force that door open. Look, sometimes we just got to cry out to Jesus. We just have to cry out 
to Jesus and say, help me, Lord. Deliver me, Lord. Save me, Lord. But sometimes we got to cry out to the devil. Sometimes you need to talk to the devil. Get out of here. Leave me alone. Stop it. In the name of Jesus, leave. And the scripture is full of examples where the name of Jesus drove out the demons. The devil will flee. He left to Jesus' command, and the angels came and ministered. So look at these three temptations. Hedonism, hedonism, <laughs> egoism, and materialism. What are we talking about here? The first temptation was self-gratification. You take care of number one. You're hungry, feed yourself. You want sex, go get it. You want to look at something nasty, go look at it. You want power, go for it. You want to step on somebody, take it. You want what he's got, do whatever you got to do. You want it, you get it. This is all about you. This is about your truth. It's about your wants, your desires, what you need. It's all about you. Get it. That's what the devil tells you. That's what Jesus was up against. You're hungry? Feed yourself, man. It's the lust of the flesh. That's what it is. But Jesus showed strength. He showed fortitude. He showed resolve. He showed loyalty when he was tempted. The second one, narcissism. Again, it's all about you. It's the pride of life. Look what I can do. I can jump off the temple and not be a scratch on me. I can impress everybody. You see, I'm really concerned about what everybody thinks about me. I want everybody to think well of me. I want everybody to think I'm better than I really am. I want you to think I'm more talented than I really am. I want everybody's attention. I'm the star. I'm the best. Look at me. Follow me. That's temptation number two. And Jesus showed wisdom. That's, that's, that's not the way. That's not going to work. That's not how it goes. And finally, materialism. The lust of the eyes. Look, Satan said, look! Look at this! It can be yours! Look! You can have that! Look! Power! Authority! You can control the world! You've got it all! You know, every one of these is all about self. The last thing I want to say in conclusion is, come on up, praise team. This is a story of the wilderness to Eden. You see, when man sinned and God drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, they went into the wilderness. And the farther they got in the wilderness, the farther away from God they got. But this is the story of man being in the wilderness, coming out of the wilderness. And listen, this is the story of the second Adam. This is the story of man going back into the garden. Isn't that beautiful? 
This is man going back to the Garden of Eden. Jesus is the second Adam who relived the temptations. He overcame what Adam and Eve did not overcome. And I'll just skip to the end. I got a lot of good stuff there, but way too much time. Isaiah 51, verse 3. Look at this. This is great. For the Lord comforts Zion. Zion represents his people. This is the people of God. The Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice, the voice of song. 